good morning again. And uh, this is the last Sunday school class on uh, eschatology simplified. And uh, we've been dealing with a number of questions raised. Today we have a few more questions. And uh, uh, if you do have questions, uh, then we will also seek to deal with it during this session. I will begin with the questions that I've got and then uh, open it up for various questions. Uh, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your loving kindness upon us today. Thank you for how you've led us throughout this last week. And uh, in ages past, we've known your presence. We've known your We've experienced your, uh, your love, uh, your protection, your guidance, your spirit has not departed from us. Uh, we thank you for uh, the joy of your salvation, which is our strength. So we pray that you may guide us today uh, to uh, do your will, to learn from, from the sacred word, to be taught at your at your school and uh, to be well instructed in our faith so that uh, we would be uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, bless our time now, O oh Lord. Help us to uh, have uh, more of this blessed hope uh, uh, and things relating to last things clarified. Uh, help us to know the riches of your blessings from your word. Uh, please do hear us, help us, for we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, yeah, the first question is, as you would expect, from Revelation. Uh, and the question is, uh, who are the 144,000? Um, who are the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. I also need to point out that it's there in chapter 14, verse 1. So if you could go there to Revelation 7, you could read verse 1 through verse 4. Um, after this, I saw four angels standing at the, at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no weed might blow on, on earth or sea or against any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with a seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice, to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, <coughs> uh, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. <coughs> and I heard the, the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then verse 5 through 8 goes on to list the various, uh, the various tribes. Um, there is a tribe of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. But nothing is said at all of the tribe of Dan. Um, and then it goes on to say, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Uh, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Um, if you turn to chapter 14, verse 1, <clears throat> we read, Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, 
and like the sound of loud thunder, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever, the, uh, wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouths no lie was found, for they are blameless. So there's, there is a question of uh, the seal. What does the seal stand for? And then the question of uh, the 144,000. Um, so those who have the seal, uh, the 144,000, noted there in chapter 7, verse 4, uh, mentioned again there in uh, 14, verse 1, uh, as those who have the name of God and of the Lamb written on their foreheads. Uh, these are believers who are under the seal with the name of God and the Lamb, and they possess an inviolable salvation, uh, a relationship with both God and the Lamb. If you look at uh, verse 3 and 4, this seal protects them. Um, because they are purchased. The seal also, we notice, uh, the seal and the name of God must be identical, both indicating that these belong to God, as, as we have it there in uh, 2 Timothy 19, 2 Timothy 2.19, uh, the Lord knows those who are His. Uh, that's the seal, you know. Uh, let's just read that and see what what seal is. Uh, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So the seal then, uh, indicates that this belongs to God. The seal can also have the sense of authenticating, excuse me, uh, showing that it's authentic uh, or um, showing that this is genuine. And so the seal of God is. Uh, the indication that these are genuine. These, 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 these are not the wheat and the tares. Uh, rather, this is, this is authentic. This is genuine. Um, so the seal has traditionally been used both to show the genuineness uh, or to authenticate and also uh, seal does designate ownership. And uh, those two ideas both indicate protection. Um, and then you also notice that the sealed are also called uh, board servants or slaves of our God. Um, so they belong to God as his slaves, as those that he has purchased for himself. Um, and then you notice that the seal empowers the 144,000 to perform the role of witness intended for true Israel. Uh, the true Israel was supposed to be true witnesses of God. Look at uh, Isaiah 42. Uh, Isaiah 42, 6 to 7. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I'll take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. 
goes on to say to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from, pre from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Uh, this is what they had been called to be, witnesses, true witnesses. Uh, and if you look at chapter 49, Verse 6, he says it is, is it, it is too light, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will bring you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the, the, the true Israel of God um, was supposed to be witnesses and Isaiah repeatedly points this out even in chapter 51 verse 4 to 8 give attention to my people and give ear to me my nation for law will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples that is to the nations my righteousness draws near my salvation has gone out and my arms will judge the peoples the coastlands hope for me and for my arm they wait Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Um, then he says in verse 7, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like a wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. The Lord speaks to his people to be his witnesses, and that's what he is expected of the ethnic Israelites, and that's what he expects of the new Israel. So the new name and the new seal, uh, and excuse me, and the seal are the marks of genuine membership in the community of the redeemed, without which the entry into the city of God would be impossible. So, who are the 144,000 there in chapter 7? Um, at face value, it seems like the uh, ethnic Jews, because of the listed tribes. And it may as well be. But if you compare chapter 7 and chapter 14, and actually if you, uh, if you look, if you read on chapter, in chapter 7, you would see the identity of the 144,000. Um, clearly, this is the community of the redeemed. This is not every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Uh, this is the community of the redeemed people of God. Um, and it can be identified, the, the ones in chapter 14 can be identified with the ones in chapter 14 because of the, of the parallels in uh, the ideas presented uh, in both texts. For example, in chapter 14, verse 3 to 4, the 144,000 are those who had been purchased from the earth and those who have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God. The parallel between chapter 14 and uh, chapter, uh, chapter 14 verse 4 as well as chapter 5 verse, uh, verse 2, uh, verse 9, let me read that for you. Chapter 5 verse 9. Um, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood, uh, excuse me, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Um, so, these who had, uh, had been purchased had been from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Um, 
So the characteristic of both groups is that they were purchased by God and sealed uh, for God or to God. Um, so the, the relationship between the two groups, if they are two, is very, very close. So that even if one were to take the 144,000 of, chap of chapter 7 to be ethnic Jews, um, you would see that they belong to the same category going by chapter 14. And in any case, chapter 5 uh, of Revelation is referring to all this group as having the same characteristics as people who genuinely belong to God, people who have been sealed, uh, people who have been uh, uh, protected and purchased by God. So I would say then that uh, the, two, uh, the two groups, or rather the two chapters, are identical or referring to the same group of people. They're elect of God, they're redeemed. And this is not a small remnant because there are people who's, who take these 144,000 to be that uh, the 144,000 have already been uh, saved and they are safe and secure in heaven. Uh, and for us, God will set up a place for us on the earth. But, but that's not the understanding of the scriptures. Uh, this is a big number. And uh, as I would show you later, whenever the, the book of Revelation uses uh, that word arithmetic, or what, which is translated number in, uh, in our Bibles, it's always a reference to a multitude of, of people. It refers to uh, a multitude of, of people. So this would mean then that at the 144,000, both in chapter 7 and in chapter 14, are not some small group of people. It's a big, big number that uh, no one can number. It's myriads upon myriads. Uh, it is the many, because we know that uh, Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for, for a few, no, for many. Um, this is the larger remnant of humanity living during the, the, the church age whom Christ has redeemed from throughout the world. So that's my long answer to that question as to who the 144,000 are. These are the redeemed of the Lord from every tribe, every language, every nation, and every people. And then secondly, uh, the, the second question I've got is, um, uh, what is the mark of the beast in Revelation 13, verse 18? You would have expected that that question would come, isn't it? So please do turn there. Um, we read of the first beast in chapter 13, verse 1. And then from verse 11, we read of the second beast. Um, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the, be the first beast whose mortal wood was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image of the for the beast that it was wooded, excuse me, that was wooded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked 
on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the, the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666, 666. So what's that? Again, this verse has been um, a subject of much debate over the years. For instance, uh, between the year 1560 and 1830 in Britain, uh, many well-meaning Christians and theologians are trying to work out that number. And over 100 names were proposed. 100 names. Um, one, of the, one of the ways that people have tried to work out the mark of the beast is to use gematria, which is, uh, take the spelling of different names <clears throat> um, and incorporate their titles to try to make out, uh, you know, to work out the, the, the letters into uh, either additions or multiplications or divisions or both to figure out what names fit. But that method has been met with a lot of difficulty. So there has been a disagreement throughout. Some would say that would work out the numbers uh, and take the name of Caesar Nero, for example, uh, and they would say that this is it. We, we've worked it out and calculated and uh, uh, this is it. You see, when the disagreements about like that clearly tells you that it can't be, it can't be the way to come at the truth. So if you look at the book of Revelation, as I've already said, the word number, arithmos, is always used figuratively in Revelation to connote an an accountable multitude. And you see that in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering, and that's a word, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. If you look at chapter 7, verse 4, uh, it has that word, arrhythmos, again. And as I've already pointed out, the 144,000, which is the number, uh, it doesn't refer to, to, to a few. It refers to an accountable multitude. It's a myriads and myriads. Uh, so the 144,000 really symbolically represent all the redeemed of the Lord from every tribe, including the Israelites, uh, the ethnic Israelites, as well as the Gentiles. Um, so the number is not meant to be calculated by working out the letters, uh, either in, oh, and by the way, someone who, uh, who has been a strong proponent of working out the numbers, has said, uh, this is his own method. He said, try addition and see if it will get you to 666. You know, uh, work out the numbers in, uh, in, um, in, in Hebrew. Uh, if they don't quite fit, try in uh, Greek. If it doesn't fit, try Latin. If it doesn't fit, forget the spelling. So, how could that be? A way of working out it when, when there is uh, anything when there is no uh, no no standard. <clears throat> but this is what I propose, and uh, uh, what many 
orthodox theologians have said regarding the number 666. Um, you notice that the numbers of God are either 3 or 7 or 12, referring to, uh, and with 7 itself, referring to completeness. And it's repeated throughout the book of Revelation to show, to signify that completeness. And uh, it is a divine number. For example, um, if you look at the, the, the angels uh, who are dealing with the seals, uh, if you look at the, sixth, the, 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 the seventh seal, it does bring us to uh, the, the kingdom of God. But interesting enough, when, when you contrast the seventh seal, uh, to, which is the eternal kingdom of Christ, with six, uh, which depicts judgment, uh, obviously in completeness and and judgment, you would see that uh, um, six, six is close enough to seven, but not seven, uh, such that then it would be both in completeness and imperfection. So, what about the repetition of six into, or, or three, uh, three sixes? What does that indicate? And I would suggest that it's the completeness of sinful incompleteness, if that makes sense. Um, so the beast is incomplete. Excuse me, the, the, the beast is a human number which, uh, that's what it's called there, uh, it's the... It's the so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the, the mark of the beast, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Um, and then it says, for it is the number of a man. So it's a human number. It's not a divine number. And the reputation of the three sixes is a parody, parody or it's meant to, to imitate or mimic the Trinity, um, or the Trinity, or the divine Trinity of the sevens. And the reason for using sixes instead of sevens to describe the beasts here is both for emphasis and to show the, that this is counterfeit Christ and false prophecy. Uh, and, and also when believers successfully resist the beast deception, they avoid being identified with the essence of his name, which is imperfection personified. Because to be identified with someone's name is equivalent to partaking of that person's character. Um, those who bear the name of God are those who identify with God's character. And so to bear the name of the beast, whether on the forehead or the uh, or the uh, the hand is to be identified with the beast and its vileness of wickedness. So then, this would be the deception of Satan, so that uh, uh, people are prevented from believing in Christ and partaking of his righteousness and being prevented from entering his kingdom. So I would see then the mark of the beast more as the deception rather than as, uh, you know, microchips implanted on either your forehead or your hand, as some people have said, and went on to identify the mark of the beast with... Um, with the COVID-19 vaccine um, or with uh, the use of 
um, you know, visa cards and all that stuff that people come up with. Uh, so really, uh, this is saying that the, the deception of the beast is going to be there. You better not partake of it. And the way to not partake of it is to be, is to be in Christ and uh, to receive his word. Right, I need to stop there then to take a few more questions from the plenary, from the floor. Is there any question from the last uh, 12 messages? Do you have any questions online? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, uh, Pastor Dominic. Thank you, brother. Um, I have a question that would uh, many dispensationalists would seek to bring out. Mm -hmm show the difference between the church and uh, the nation of Israel and they would point to um, the passage in Romans is it 11 that the full number of the Gentiles will be saved and then um, later it says all Israel will be saved and they use that then as a picture to say look you have the Gentiles being saved, and then you have now, after the Gentiles have been saved, now salvation going to the, um, to the Jews. Uh, and, and, and I'm asking that because of Galatians, where we see uh, that the church is actually called the Israel of God. So how, how would you help someone to interpret that <clears throat> passage in the correct way without trying to show that there is a difference between uh, the church and the nation of Israel, or to mean that they, there is the, still the redemptive nation of Israel. Thank you. Thank you. I sought to um, address much of the, um, the distinction or the similarities or the superiority uh, of the two last week. Um, and yes, Pastor Dominic is right that uh, the dispensational teaching, the common dispensational teaching, is that the church is the, is the is kind of an afterthought in God's scheme of things. Uh, and really, uh, God's primary uh, plan involved only the Jews only the nation of Israel, but since they rejected, uh, they rejected uh, the gospel, then God had to come up with a plan uh, for the church. Meanwhile, as we wait for the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles to come in, and then, uh, uh, you know, looking at that verse there, um, uh, all Israel will be saved. Um, so let's turn to, to Romans 11. And it's necessary to, I think, read the whole chapter for you to see the argument there. And uh, I had proposed to you last Sunday that um, God has had, had one plan from the outset. Uh, he was building one community from the beginning. And this passage does pay that, uh, does accept that uh, interpretation of God having one community 
by the use of... Let, let me just read the, the passage and then we can uh, look at what it says and what it doesn't say. So I ask then, uh, uh, verse, 11, verse 1 of chapter 11, I ask then, has God rejected his people? That is talking about Israelites. By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appears to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Uh, so what, what Paul is saying there is, look, God's purpose has not failed, and I start as an example to show that the plan of God for Israelites uh, is, is valid. But then someone would object and say, but you're just like Elijah. You, you know, you are the only one. And so he says, no, even for Elijah, it wasn't just Elijah. There were 7,000. 7, what did God reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bound uh, the need to Baal. Then there is that statement of fact. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. So it is not, uh, as I told someone the, earlier this week, it is not a remnant chosen by race, it is a remnant chosen by grace. It is by grace. It's not on the basis of race, it's not on the basis of works, Otherwise, grace will no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what, is, what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, by the rest, but the rest were handed. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bed their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? No, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the door offered as fast fruits is holy, so is the world lamb, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a world olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If, you're, if, you're, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And if even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in. For if you are cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will this natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree. Um, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their, tres, tres, uh, take away their sins.
So, um, So then uh, the question there in verse 25 and 26 uh, of God's eternal plan of redemption where he has this one olive tree, uh, the roots and the stem does begin with the, with the Jews because to them belong the, the patriarchs, uh, chapter 9. Uh, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Now, we, we Gentiles have to stand upon the revelation given by God to us through the, uh, the, the Jews. Uh, we stand on the promises that were given to them. Uh, as the initial people of God that, that he was working with. And uh, uh, the olive tree is one, but then we are told that God broke off some of the branches of the original cultivated olive tree and uh, grafts in a branch of a wild olive tree, that is the Gentiles, and Paul is saying that you Gentiles need to realize that you are really not included in this. Now that you've been included, you need to be very thankful and not proud. And you must not in any way disdain the, the Jews because it is through them that you are nourished. It's through the promises and the revelation that came by them that you are nourished in your faith. So that's why we read the Old Testament. And that's why we, we depend upon uh, the prophetic writings. But then the Bible talks about the partial hardening that has come upon them. They've stumbled. Now, they've not stumbled in order that they may fall so that there would be zero Jew saved. Uh, rather, they have stumbled in order that the Gentiles may be grafted in, in order that the, until the fullness of the Gentiles uh, should come in. So what's the fullness of the Gentiles? It is the preaching of the gospel to all the nations, all the tribes, all the languages, and being brought into the commonwealth of Israel, so to speak, the language there in Ephesians 2. They are brought into this one olive uh, tree so that both the, 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 the remaining branch of the olive tree and the grafting branch of the olive tree and even possibly the broken ones may uh, may possibly be restored back looking at this uh, where, where, where we've just read um, where he says for if you are cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will this, that is the Israelites, uh, by nature, the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Um, so the question is, will God go back to the, to the so-called original plan and, uh, and, 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 you know, and um, what would he do with the Gentiles? Will the church, which includes both Jews and Gentiles, be set aside in favor of God going back to the nation of Israel? And the, ans the answer is no. Uh, it isn't that God would uh, graft the, uh, the broken off branch back into the olive tree and replace, the, the, replace the, the ones that had been grafted earlier out of the olive tree, it's that they all will be one olive tree for God. And so if you look at uh, that phrasing there in verse 26, it is not uh, that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, 
verse 26 says that the way in which all Israel will be saved, it's by the inclusion of both the fullness of the Gentiles and the, the, the salvation of the Jews as well. It is in this way. Which way? The way of the Jews being in the olive tree and then the Gentiles being added in and more Jews being added in. And this is the way in which all Israel will be saved. Um, one of the debated phrases there in that in that verse is the until is the word until uh, but that word until could also be translated even this way uh, it, it is that um, this is going on and this is going on and in this way the the tree would be complete or the fullness uh, of israel would be saved and as you rightly pointed out from galatians the church is called israel and if you look at ephesians 2 uh, as i already said last week the uh the nation that God is building, or the community, let me just use the word community, that God is, is building is one that includes both the Jews and the Gentiles. Is that? Okay. Any other question? We have a few minutes. Yes, go ahead. <clears throat> uh, thank you, Percy. Uh, I just wanted to ask, kindly elaborate on verse 28 and 29. Of Romans? Uh, yes, Romans 11. Uh, yes, there is um, <clears throat> Paul there quoting uh, from the Old Testament, he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. <clears throat> he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So what Paul is saying there is that, uh, uh, obviously, the deliverer from Zion is none other than the Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, and he, he came to banish ungodliness uh, from his people. But was it only from his people? Was it only from the Jews? Was it only from, the, from Jacob? I don't think so. Because then the verse, uh, verse 27 points out to, uh, be, to, to his covenant. And what is the new covenant? Uh, does the new covenant only include the the Jews? No. If you go to uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, you would see that the covenant includes both Jews and the new covenant includes both the Jews and the Gentiles. So uh, even though he says that uh, uh, the deliverer who will come from Israel will banish ungodliness from Jacob, um, it is Jacob being used to refer to all the people of God faithful to the covenant. Uh, who's, uh, who have been included in the covenant and, and, and who have God's law written on their hearts. Uh, these are the people that he is talking about when he talks about um, Jacob. Surely the Lord or the deliverer from Israel did not come only to save the, the Jews, did he? It was both Jews and the Gentiles. All right, any other question?
Yes, Johnny. Sir. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, verse 28, have you touched on that? I haven't understood 28 and 29. I just wanted clarification on what it means based on what you say. So verse 28 um, is that both Jews and Gentiles are saved through the preaching of the gospel. None is saved by any other means. Uh, and so when you look at how the Jews received the, the gospel initially, it was all by rejection. They didn't want anything to do with it. And remember, uh, when the Lord sent out the, the 12 and the 72, it was specifically to the household of Israel. But they rejected. Uh, and over and over again. And you see that playing out through, through the book of uh, Acts. The apostles go to different cities and even in, even in Gentile cities, you see them being rejected specifically by who? By the Jews. So to that extent then, regards the gospel, they are, excuse me, they are enemies of God for your sake. Why, is it, why was it for your sake? Because as they rejected the gospel in these Gentile cities, Paul and company were, uh, were forced to go to to the Gentiles, increasingly, until it got to a point where they had to do what? In, uh, in Corinth. They had to dust off their feet regarding the, the, the Jews. Uh, and they said, because you've rejected the gospel, now we will give all our attention to the Gentiles. And that's what they did. Now that's not to say that uh, no Jew was saved, because we know that Jews were saved, uh, but then it was not in droves, but in it was one, one, one after another. So regarding the election, then they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, because um, the the election that the, the promise of election that God and uh, uh, the promise that God had given to the patriarchs does come to pass. Uh, as some of them are saved, um, and eventually, as we see the promise that possibly there could be more coming into salvation in a larger number. Perhaps what I should have pointed out with regard to uh, Pastor Dominic's question or comment is that the fullness of the, uh, the, the, the fullness of the Gentiles plus Israel is the all Israel. The all Israel there cannot mean each and every uh, Jew who has ever lived because clearly some would have already been dead. So uh, to that extent then, the all Israel there, it's all representing both, uh, both communities being brought to be the one community. And so as you come to the... Uh, to verse 29, it is the assurance that when God gives a promise, he's never going to take it back. His word never, you know, not, never falls down to the ground and fail to accomplish its purposes. Where God promised a gift or a calling, it would come to pass. The gifts and the callings of the calling of God are irrevocable. So they were disobedient so that uh, we would be grafted in. Johnny? Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, sorry, I came late in the morning, but uh, I think I remember a question that uh, Brother Mark asked a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was on Revelation 20 uh, yes. concerning the beast and the, and, the, and the Antichrist who are in the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he asked um, that could you kindly elaborate on, on that passage? I don't know if you tackle this in the morning. Uh, would you repeat the question that Mark asked uh, from, from YouTube? 
exactly as he asked it. I think it was on verse 10. Uh-huh. Uh, it says, um, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, I think his question was, uh, Could you explain? Uh, can't really remember very well. But the question is: Will he be released to deceive the nations? Uh, you remember I pointed out that uh, the I, I do identify the uh, the beasts. Uh, with the man of lawlessness uh, who as soon as he is released as soon as, as soon as he is revealed the language there in um, uh, in uh, first Thessalonians he would be destroyed um, so when the thousand years are added Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But then fire came down from heaven, consumed them. And the devil who had deceived the, uh, them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets were, and they were tormented day and night and forever and forever. Um, so remember that uh, one of the aspects of the biding of, the, uh, of Satan earlier on in chapter 20 is so that uh, he may not deceive the nations, but now he is released. Another aspect of, uh, another thing that he is supposed to be prevented from doing is from gathering all the enemies of the church of, God, uh, of Christ uh, and fight, uh, fight against it. But then we see that as soon as uh, the devil is allowed or released, using that language, as soon as that happens, Christ does appear and there is the judgment. And, and so really, he doesn't uh, so much succeed in his schemes, because as soon as he's revealed, he's, he's destroyed. Now, it could also be taken to be that uh, there would be uh, intense persecution of the church just before Christ returns. That may be the case. I don't see a big, big problem with that. Uh, but what is for sure is that the devil will not triumph. The devil will not be victorious even for a moment because as soon as they march up, so to speak, against the city of God, against, against the, the beloved city, then fire comes down from heaven. And we are not told that there is any aspect of success on the part of the devil. Yes. All right. Is there any other question? I'm looking to see whether there is a, another question and then we can wrap it up. Yes, uh, Joshua. Wait for the microphone, please. My, my question might not be related to today's reading, though I still find uh, the book of Revelation to be a labyrinth to me, but I just wanted some 
clarification on something I read uh, concerning a woman holding on to a child and uh, a beast trying to devour the child. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, because I asked uh, a question, I asked someone and uh, the, the person I questioned just gave me some, some little information. He told me that uh, the, the baby is Christ reborn, but I really didn't get to understand it well. So I just thought I, I could ask probably for some clarification on that. Um, I, I've had questions. Let, let me just make a few comments about uh, uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, and, and I did say this from the beginning, that uh, when we come to the book of Revelation, uh, we, we, we end up with so many questions uh, because of our interpretation of the world book. And so sometimes we find people being caught up by one uh, figure, uh, like like the dragon or the woman, um, and they are unable to, con to continue because they are not reading the whole book in totality. Um, or at least they are not, they, they are not seeing where, where John is coming from and where he is headed as he presents all these figures. Um, so then when you respond to just one one figure, or when a question like that is asked, it's almost as if we need to open up the whole book of Revelation and seek to understand it. Um, I remember with some brethren, uh, they were having all sorts of uh, eschatological questions. And I said, brothers, why don't we just go to the world book and try to learn the world book as a whole? And perhaps that's what you need to do if um, this is going to get anywhere. Um, you know, so perhaps without going into all the details, maybe that's what I need to do. Uh, uh, Pastor Eric has preached through portions of um, the book of Revelation. He has done the first, uh, the first part, which deals with the letters to the churches, and then he has done the, the, the blessings uh, that, or the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And and maybe we need to go and request him, brother, take up the world book and, uh, you know, help us understand it. Uh, who, who is the beast? Who is the woman? Who is these figures? Uh, how do they all fit together in God's schemes, uh, scheme of redemption? And perhaps that might be more helpful because I do feel like uh, I'm not doing justice to questions here and there, we need to work it out exegetically and arrive at, uh, at some point. Sorry, that doesn't answer your question directly. And all I'm trying to say is it's not likely to be satisfactory unless we work out through the whole book. Um, and anyway, we'll talk about it uh, privately and then uh, we will... Uh, I could ad address your question privately, but then uh, meanwhile you can pray for us that we may consider doing a dire exegesis of the whole book of Revelation. I think you need to, to draw it to a close because of time. Our Father, we thank you so much for all the time you've given us uh, these last uh, 12 weeks. Uh, thinking about our blessed hope, the glorious appearing for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray, dear Lord, that uh, in your mercy, you would uh, enable us to see this as for the encouragement of our faith, the strengthening of our faith. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you may continue to teach us your ways. We admit that there is we are so ignorant. There's so much that we do not know. Uh, but Lord, the good news is that we can know it. It's not hidden from us that uh, it's beyond reach. So we pray 
that, Lord, you may continue to teach us your ways uh, to help us to understand, to gain the heart of wisdom. And as we address uh, various questions in our minds, uh, as we talk about them, we will always go back to the scriptures and be content with what your word says. So even for the rest of the day, Lord, we are gathered for worship. Uh, we've come to, to hear from you. We pray that you may help us and that, Lord, you may strengthen us to receive your word with meekness. And these things we pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you so, so much.